We are glad you're here. We've got a good number here this morning, and we are thankful for that. Appreciate Jordan reading our scripture today, and thank you for being here. If you are visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We are so grateful that you have chosen to come our way. I know that right now times are unsettling, and this is probably a difficult time for many, many folks. A lot of folks are not out, particularly not out visiting congregations, but we are so glad that you're here today. And to those of you who are visiting, thank you for honoring us with your presence today. We are going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 24 in our study together today, Proverbs 24, verse 10. I invite you to turn to that passage as we look at that in just a moment or two. In Proverbs verse 10, the passage that Jordan read a moment ago, Solomon said, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I, like many of you, have lived long enough to understand that life doesn't always go as planned. I guess if I could just identify my ideal day, it'd be 80 degrees and sunshine every day. I know that we all need rain, but I like the sun. Fact of the matter is, we're going to get rain probably more than we like. And so in understanding that life is filled with sunshine and rain, when the rain comes, what do you do? You either get your umbrella out or put a raincoat on, but you got to deal with it, don't you? By the same token, adversity is a part of life. And so what we have to do is equip ourselves so that when the day of adversity comes, we're not overtaken. We don't give in and give up. So I want to begin today by talking for a moment or two about times of adversity. And as you think with me about times of adversity... I want to begin by suggesting to you that there is the possibility of facing adversity in life. That possibility is very real, and there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, life is fragile. How often have you heard the old saying, life is fragile, handle with care? You remember David said many years ago in 1 Samuel chapter 20 at verse 3 that there is but a step between death and me. Life is fragile. And it is true, here today, gone tomorrow. Not only is life fragile, but it's fickle, isn't it? And by that I mean it is so unpredictable. You know, I wish that I could just, well, sometimes I wish I knew what lay over the horizon. But then there's another part of me that maybe I don't want to know what lays ahead. But life is unpredictable. Solomon would write in chapter 27, who knows what a day may bring forth. Every day, Something new comes, doesn't it? And so to understand the possibility is very real when it comes to facing adversity. 
But then there are some people that we can read about in Scripture who have faced adversity and come out on the other side. Now, I think sometimes it's inspiring to go back and to look at people that have been faced with tough times and they have managed to get through and to come out on the other side. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Joseph. When you pick up in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is 17 years of age. He's a teenager. And when you look at the life of Joseph and you look at the entirety of his life, who would have ever thought that God would have placed upon the shoulders of a teenager the seed line of the nation of Israel in the sense that God used Joseph to go to Egypt and to ultimately become such a force that one day the children of Israel could migrate to the land of Goshen. Seventy-some people and become a mighty nation of people. But in Genesis chapter 37, the text says that Joseph was the favored son of his father. His father gave him a coat of many colors. And if you read Genesis chapter 37, his brothers couldn't speak peaceably to him. They hated him. They despised him. And so his father on one occasion sent him to Shechem about 20 miles or so from Hebron to go and to check on their well-being. Well, Joseph makes his way northward to Shechem. When he gets there, he finds out they moved on to Dothan, about 13, 14 miles to the north. When he gets to Dothan, his brothers see him. And you remember what the text says? Here comes that dreamer. Look, they were ready to take his life. And yet, though they didn't kill him, they sold him into the hands of the Ishmaelites and Midianites. At the age of 17, Joseph finds himself down in Egypt, separated from his father that loved him, separated from his home, from things that were familiar to him, just a teenager, just a boy. I wonder if Joseph didn't think in his heart of hearts, my dad is wealthy. He's going to send some people and they're going to find me and bring me back home. He didn't know what his brothers had done. You remember they made it look like he'd been killed by a wild beast. So he rises to prominence in the household of Potiphar. Things are going well. The Bible says the Lord's with him. The Lord's making things to prosper under his hand. He's now over, he is the steward over Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife makes advances to him. He refuses to yield to her overtures. And what happens? Doesn't she lie about him? She makes the case that he had made overtures to her. And so what happens? Ends up in prison. Now you think about it. Here's a young fellow, 17 years of age. 
He's trying to do the right thing in a foreign land among foreign people. And what does he get for it? Sold out. And then he's in prison. And if you read the text, he spends two years in prison. He is 39 years of age when he is finally reunited with his family. 22 long years pass. Did Joseph know something about adversity and trial in life? Yes, he did. And what about Paul? When you begin to look at the missionary endeavors of the Apostle Paul, the book of Acts chronicles his three missionary endeavors. And time and again, the Bible talks about his persecutions and afflictions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, turn with me very quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to see something that is said about the Apostle Paul. In chapter 11, verse 23, he talks about his labors being more abundant. In stripes above measure in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, he said, five times I received 40 stripes minus one, 195 stripes laid upon his back. Three times he said he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day, he said, I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who can read that and not come away with the thought, this guy faced a lot of adversity in his life, didn't he? And you remember in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul would tell Timothy, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All Paul is doing is saying to Timothy, you need to understand something. Life is not always going to go as planned. It, there are going to be some bumps in the road. So we talk about times of adversity, but there is a second thing I want to share with you. And that is the fact that we can be tested by adversity. What about being tested by adversity? Now, there are some negatives and there are some positives. And isn't that the way life is? Don't you have positives and negatives, good and bad? Don't you have some days where it seems like everything just goes well, everything goes as planned, and then there are those days when you wonder why they ever get up? Should have just rolled over and stayed in bed. So, what about this idea of being tested by adversity? I want to talk about the negatives first. The negatives of adversity. First and foremost, I would say, don't let adversity discourage you. Now, Solomon said, listen to him again in chapter 24. At verse 10, if you faint in the day of adversity, wouldn't that seem to suggest that adversity is a real possibility in life? Well, the answer would be yes. 
And what is it the devil wants to do? Is it one of the things that he wants to do to those of us who belong to the family of God is discourage us, to dishearten us, to cause us to despair? What about Elijah? Elijah was one of the great prophets of God. In chapter 18 of 1 Kings, Elijah has a showdown with the prophets of Baal. If you go back and you read that text, you'll find out that following that showdown, Elijah proves himself to be a prophet of God. He is the true prophet of God. And there is only one God, not the Baals, that the people of that day were worshiping. Then you make the transition into chapter 19, and you read about a lady by the name of Jezebel. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab, and Ahab was a wicked king, wasn't he? Jezebel exerted a lot of influence in the life of Ahab. And so in chapter 19, she sends word to Elijah. And basically the word is, you're next on my list. I'm going to put you to death. And the text tells us, Elijah was so discouraged that he prayed that he might die. You ever face times in life when you thought, wish I'd never been born? You ever had a moment in life when you thought, you know, if I were dead, I'd be out of all these troubles and trials and miseries? Elijah thought of death as an ally. And so God had to remind him. He had this idea that he was the only one serving God. He talked about the children of Israel, how they had forsaken God's covenant. They had torn down God's idols. He said, they have killed your prophets, and I alone am left. And God said, you need to understand, there are 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, Elijah was discouraged. He was despondent. Adversity was very real in his life. I simply say that to encourage us, don't let adversity discourage you. One of the greatest tools the devil has in his toolbox is discouragement. There are people right now, some who are already waving the white flag, I've had enough. There are some folks in the church that because of what we have been through over the last five months have said, you know what, I've had enough. They've given up. Don't let adversity discourage you. And number two, don't let adversity derail you. Have you ever seen a picture of a train derailment? It's really amazing. I had a buddy of mine that was an engineer on the railroad for many years. And he said, it's not a matter of if you're going to hit a car on the tracks. He said, it's just when. It's coming. Whether you like it or not, you're going to hit a car. There have been trains that have been derailed. There was a family here in 
DeSoto County some years ago. They were involved in a terrible train wreck in Chicago. Two small children were killed. You remember that? Sad, sad time. The devil wants to derail your faith. That's what he's about. Didn't Peter say, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 13 that there are some who receive the seed, the Word of God, but because tribulation and persecution arise because of the Word, what happens? Fall away. Don't let the devil derail your faith. Do you really think the devil cares how he destroys your faith? How he gets you to the point where you just give up and say, you know what, I've had enough, I'm back in the world. He doesn't care. He has all these tools, and he's using these tools to disrupt, derail, and destroy your faith. There's a second thing. First and foremost, we think about the negative. The positive, however. When you and I evaluate adversity, positively speaking, it can be used to deepen our relationship to the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that tough times, rather than driving you away from God, can drive you to the throne of God. What about Paul? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the abundance of revelations that he had received in the Lord. And he said, because of the abundance of those revelations, there had been given unto him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. He said, lest I be exalted above measure. I think what God was doing was keeping Paul humble. And whatever the nature of this thorn in the flesh, it was bad enough that Paul said three times, I prayed to God that he would remove it. And what was it God said? Do you remember? God said, my grace is sufficient for you. God was saying to the Apostle Paul nearly 2,000 years ago, Paul, here's what I want you to learn. You need to learn to depend solely upon me, come what may. Is it possible that adversity can cause us to trust God more fully? You remember in 1 Peter chapter 5 when Peter talked about humility? God resists the proud, doesn't He? But He gives grace to the humble. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter would say, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He would go on to say, casting all your care on Him, for He cares for you. And I think the idea is, there are times in life when we're too proud to ask. We've got this idea, we can make it all on our own. We don't need anybody helping. We don't want to ask anybody, and we don't need God's help. I don't know anybody that doesn't need the help of God, do you? And what God was saying to Paul in the long ago was, Paul, you've got to trust me, no matter what. Didn't Solomon say, trust in the Lord with all your heart, 
Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and what will He do? He'll direct your paths. Adversity can deepen our relationship to the Lord. Over the past five months, has your faith been tested and tried? Have you been at the point or the brink of just giving up, throwing in the towel? Can't do that. Not only can adversity deepen our relationship with the Lord, but I believe it can deepen our resolve in the Lord. Many of us are familiar with the phrase, refuse to lose. you got to determine, look, I'm not going to let adversity destroy my faith. David, in Psalm 56, David is being hounded unmercifully, facing tough, tough times. You remember what David said? Whenever I am afraid, what will I do? He said, I will trust in you. The idea of digging deeper, clawing in, saying, you know what? I'm not going to give ground in my life. David was resolved. And I think as children of God, as people of God, we've got to resolve. We're not going to give in. We're not going to give up. We're going to hang tight. We're going to stay strong. We're going to stay faithful to God. There's a third thing I want to share with you. It has to do with being triumphant over adversity. You mean to tell me that I can be victorious? over the adversities of life? The answer is yes. I want to begin by first of all talking about we need to prepare for adversity. We need to prepare for adversity in life. Before you take a trip, before you travel to some distant city or state, Don't you make preparation for that? Don't you make sure that there are certain things that are in order? You want to make sure your car's running well? Oil has changed? Your tires have plenty of air? You want to make sure everything is A-OK? You make your reservations for the place you're staying in? I mean, you make preparation. We need to prepare for adversity. We need to understand, look, life isn't always sunshine. I said a minute ago, my ideal day would be 80 degrees and sun. You wouldn't hear any complaining from me if we had that every day. But that's not the world we live in. And so to understand something about the world we live in, There is the probability that you will face adversity in this life. You need to understand something. Adversity is a part of life. Listen to Job. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Did Job Job know something about trial and adversity in life? Yes, he did. Read the record. It is a part of life. You're going to have good days and bad days. There are going to be days when it seems as if 
You are pushing uphill all the way. That's life. Adversity is a part of life. And it's not just a part of life, it is probable in life. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't know many people, matter of fact, I don't know if I know anybody, that has skated through this world with no setbacks, no troubles, no trials, no adversities. And the reason is because the world we live in is not a perfect world, is it? There was a time it was a perfect environment, wasn't it? The Garden of Eden. When sin entered the Garden of Eden, that changed everything. The landscape of the world we live in changed dramatically. And it is a changed world today. So to understand something about the world we live in. So we've got to prepare for adversity. But then secondly, we've got to learn to persevere in adversity. Now listen again to what Solomon said. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. In other words, you didn't have the stamina, you didn't have the stick to to stay the course. You just couldn't cut the mustard, could you? I mean, isn't that the case? Isn't that why some folks fall to the wayside? They're just not strong enough. There are some folks that have been weakened spiritually by what we've been facing over the last five years, and because they have become, because they are weak, they have become weaker in their faith. So here's the question. How do we persevere? Can we persevere? I think there are three keys. Number one, we've got to stay close to God, don't we? Stay close to God. Here's what James said, James chapter 4. Draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Go back and read the Psalms over this next week. And I would encourage you to key in on the Psalms penned by David. And as you read those Psalms, you'll be amazed at the closeness that David expresses over and over and over again regarding his relationship to God. David stayed close to God. Wasn't it David that said, This I know, God is for me? Adversity. When adversity comes, sometimes it blurs our perception of life, doesn't it? So what we've got to do is to step back, reevaluate things, to make sure that we've got our head on straight, that we see clearly, and that we understand. This is just temporary. At worst, it'll pass when we leave this world. But stay close to God. Number two, not only stay close to God, but stay close to the people of God. We are people, as Peter said, of like precious faith. There is strength in numbers, isn't there? Isn't that the case? Do you think it's by accident that Luke said in Acts 2 verse 42 that the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship? 
Do you think that they understood something about closeness? Didn't Paul say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? The beauty of being a child of God is we have allies. We have people that we can surround ourselves with, that we can look to for counsel. There are shoulders that we can cry on. There are people that we can look to for compassion, concern, and care in our lives. Look, the world we live in is a hard, hard world. It is a cold world. And there are a lot of folks in our world, quite frankly, they don't care about anybody but themselves. But that's not how the church is built, is it? We're built to care for one another. We're built to be around one another. Why is that? Because there is strength in numbers. We stay close to God. We stay close to the people of God. And number three, we stay close to the Word of God. I want to read you what Paul said in Romans 15. Whatever things were written before time were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You mean to tell me that I can take this book that I call the Bible and I can go back and look at the Old Testament and I can read about people like Joseph and David. I can go back and I can reflect upon the lives of men like Elijah and I can see the struggles and the difficulties that they faced. And that there is this glimmer of hope. The answer is yes. They made it, didn't they? And what is it, what is it we're looking for when we go to the Scriptures? Hope? Don't we go looking for sometimes counsel and comfort? Reminding ourselves of old truths? To remember that, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that we serve a God of all comfort, the Father of all mercies. That's the God we serve. And he realized that there have been people that have been, they have been knocked to the mat time and again. I mean, they've been floored. But they have gotten up, dusted themselves off, and made it on through. We can do the same thing. We can persevere through adversity. Listen to James. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, there's the key right there. We talked about being tempted and tried in this life. When he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. There is a crown. There's a crown waiting on you. You just got to live the faithful life. You run the race. You keep your eyes on Christ. You remember the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus demonstrated what? A persevering spirit, didn't He? And what the Hebrew writer is saying is, we need to keep our eyes on Christ and endure, persevere, whatever we face in this life. 
So I want to close today by simply saying, the day of adversity, it's coming if it's not already here. If you haven't been facing tough times, you may in the future. But what you can do is you can catalog this verse in your mind. And you can put together a plan so that when tough times come, you can stay true to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your great love, Your mercy, Your grace. We acknowledge the fact that there are some of us who are faced with adversity. And Father, we ask Your richest blessings upon each and every member here. Bless us and equip us with the resolve to depend upon You. And Father, we thank You for Your love and care for us, and we thank You for Your Word, for the inspiration that we derive from reading and studying it. And Father, we pray that You would bless us with a spirit of endurance and help us to develop the kind of faith that will be true to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ, believing Jesus to be the Son of God. Jesus wants you to put your faith and trust in Him because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one that can provide for you fellowship with the Father. If you're here today and you have not repented of your sins, as Peter said on Pentecost Day to those people present in Jerusalem, and you haven't confessed the name of Christ and been buried with Him in baptism, the beauty of that is you can do it today and you can be a child of God. You can rise to walk in newness of life. You can enjoy the forgiveness of sins and have the privilege of prayer and the presence of God in your life. If you're here today and for whatever reason, your life's not where you thought it would be. Maybe your life is filled with chaos and turmoil and adversity. And maybe you've given up. Maybe you're on the brink of giving up. And you want the church here to pray for you. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing for your encouragement.